Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And last time on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we talked about the history of panties or knickers, depending on where you live. And today, we're really excited to talk to... A panty entrepreneur. (laughs) That's right. We are talking to Julie Siegel today. She's the founder of Dear Kate, and they specialize in some pretty special undergarments, as well as yoga pants. We can't forget the yoga pants. That's right. Uh, Dear Kate started out, as uh, we'll learn more about from Julie, as a new kind of period underwear for women, because for anyone listening who has a period, we probably have all ruined so many pairs of underwear. Because let's face it, run-in-the-mill underwear is usually not designed to handle menstruation, which gave Julie a brilliant idea. Well, so it helped for sure that Julie herself has a background in a STEM field, not to mention business. So when she had to tackle this issue of, like you said, regular underpants, not being able to handle our bodily functions as women, she was able to combine her great business acumen with her scientific background and create a brand new type of product for women who, you know, have regular body functions. That's right. Yeah, periods in addition to things like urinary incontinence, pelvic or- organ prolapse, yeast infection, cervical fluid, all things that we've talked about on Stuff Mom Never Told You. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation that we had with Julie about Dear Kate's as well as period underwear, feminism, and what it's like to be an entrepreneur these days. Well, Julie, first of all, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, for our listeners, could you just introduce yourself and who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, so I'm Julie Siegel, and I'm the founder of Dear Kate. And so Dear Kate is a startup, and we make a line of performance underwear. And more recently, we just added yoga pants to our line. So we're super pumped about that. Um, but the special thing about both the underwear and the yoga pants is that they both have our patent pending fabric lining in them. So it is way better than your regular type of underwear or pants um, because it has the special fabric in it. Um, and I actually studied chemical engineering in college. So I got to help out in terms of like leading the development of creating the fabric. Um, so the inner lining is actually moisture wicking and stain releasing. And then the outer layer um, is protective and leak resistant. So basically it started in an entrepreneurship class. And, um, and so we were like, you know, men's bodies and women's bodies work differently. How come no one's making better underwear for women? Um, so we came up with the idea to make like the Wonder Woman pair of underwear that you can wear during your period and be totally prepared for anything. Well, Julie, what what uh, inspired you to make that switch from your earlier plans of working in marketing for a pharmaceutical company or perhaps a chemical engineer in the food industry to becoming a lingerie entrepreneur instead? Um, yeah, you know what? I was looking back at that interview that I did um, when I was a freshman in college, and I was like, wait, really? I said I wanted to do marketing <laughs> for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> 
And I'm like, what was, what was I thinking? Like, I clearly didn't know myself then. Um, but, but you were 18. Don't we all know ourselves when we're, when we're freshmen in college? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I was good at math and science in high school. And so my mom had said, you should be a chemical engineer. They make a boatload of money. And, um, I was like, great. Um, that's, that sounds good. Um, so I majored in chemical engineering and, and sort of like all through my four years, I was like, okay, what do I do with this major? And so I had so many different ideas and, you know, one of them was creating new types of foods. I explored working in the cosmetics industry. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe I can go into the marketing side for something that needs engineering, um, like a pharmaceutical company for a brief time. Um, and it wasn't until I took my entrepreneurship class, um, in my junior spring where I was like, Oh my gosh, like I felt like our product would make women's lives easier. And so, you know, I talked about underwear 24 seven that semester. All of my friends were like, this is amazing. You know, no one else is making this kind of underwear. I really want some of this. Um, so that's when I was like, I want to do this for real. And I can actually use my engineering degree doing something that I really believe in. And that's such a fantastic example, too, of how a STEM career can lead to something that we probably wouldn't typically think of as a STEM career. Um, but I also, in addition to um, STEM, I also wanted to ask about feminism because you've talked um, about feminism in some interviews and how you are a feminist. So how does that inform your work, not only at the Dear Kate office, but also in marketing and even in the venture capital world? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think like at my core, I'm a feminist. It's something that I've um, grown up with because my dad was a huge feminist and um, he actually stayed home and took care of me when I was younger. And my mom was the one who um, she was a lawyer. And so she made the money. Um, and so I've always seen from an early age, like the, the fact that my parents were role models of doing things non-traditionally. Um, and so he very much always instilled in me that, um, you know, I can do anything as well as men can do it. Um, and, you know, he would sometimes go the other way and he's like, you can do it better. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a second. Um, we're just trying to get to equality here, but it's really something that nowadays when I see marketing or advertising or situations that are non-equal between men and women, um, because it's been so ingrained in me from a young age, I feel like it jumps out and it looks weird and it feels weird and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, whereas, you know, if feminism isn't a concept that you're super familiar with, it just feels like regular society, like normal, um, the status quo. And so I think that I've been able to see situations from a lens of saying like, this doesn't feel equal to me and what can we do? Um, to, to strive towards equality for, for men and women. So that at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans. At the office, we do talk a lot about feminism and, you know, men and women's roles in society and how that's evolving and how we can push that conversation forward and, and what we do and what we produce, how that adds to the conversation. So about a year ago, we decided to name each of our underwear collections 
after a woman in history. And then we decided to feature women as our models who we admire because of who they are and what they do and not only how they look. Um, so there's usually some correlation between the person that we name the collection after and then who our models are. So, um, for example, we named the Ella collection after Ella Fitzgerald. And then our model was Mary Beth Doran, who is an independent musician. Um, so we photographed her singing in the studio in her underwear and recording things. And it's, it's like a breath of fresh air when you see a lingerie campaign, when there's a woman who's not just standing there looking sexy with her mouth half open, you know, like looking for approval from someone else or like she's not quite sure what she's doing. Um, because that's what we were seeing with all of these other lingerie companies. And we were talking about it in the office and I was like, you know, that's not aspirational to me. Um, you know, I aspire to be someone who's a mover and a shaker and a doer and who's really happy and confident. And so we decided as much as possible to photograph our models doing things that they love. Um, so we love the photo shoot of Mary Beth. Um, singing in her underwear and just having a good time. And so we have done that with a bunch of collections now. We've had um, a florist who owns her own um, floral boutique. We have athletes. And then recently we did the Ada campaign, which was our collection named after Ada Lovelace, the world's first computer programmer. Um, and so for that campaign, we actually invited six women to model for us who worked in tech. And so that was super fun because it was a chance for us to showcase women who we admire because of what they do. Um, and it's one of those things where like, I don't know how to code, but I very much appreciate that there are women who are experts at that because I want someone of my gender represented at the table, you know, when decisions are being made or actual systems are being designed it's so important for us to have to have women there. And like when you think about it, everything in our world is going digital. And so we desperately want females to be a part of that and, and a part of shaping um, how that's all implemented. And then when it comes to raising money for our company, you know, I've pitched so many different investors and talked to a lot of different people and one thing that I love about our investors is, you know, they not only share our goal of making money, but, um, you know, equally as importantly is pushing the envelope and pushing the agenda forward, um, for women. And so one thing that I love about, about having this greater mission besides making money is how we're trying to be a role model for other companies and, and so, you know, I think a lot of apparel companies show their models portrayed in these somewhat disempowering poses or um, situations and because they think that that's what sells. And so if we're able to show the opposite and show that actually women in lingerie can be super smart and super empowered and that there's so much more to women than just how we look and be successful doing that then that's kind of an incentive for all of these companies that even if they're just focused on making money, 
they could change the way that they portray their models. Well, and speaking of models and marketing, um, we have to uh, talk about the controversy that Dear Kate <laughs> attracted during its uh, campaign for the Ada collection, uh, which included um, a photo spread uh, with women in tech, including past stuff I've never told you guest, Ada Bernier of Skill Crush. And it featured these women in their underwear. And I mean, much of the media coverage focused on its possible repercussions for women in tech, saying, oh, well, these women want respect in the industry. Why are they posing in their underwear? And I mean, that's kind of all the conversation was focused on. And you had such a great response to that. And I was also wondering what you think it says more broadly about women, body policing and just this constant sexualization of the female body, whether we are doing our work or not. Yeah, we were pretty shocked <laughs> that it got so much press and so much discussion um, because to us, it was an extension of, of what we've done for months now in terms of featuring non-traditional models. Um, and, you know, I, I know that the women in tech is kind of a hot button subject and, and there is a lot of discussion about it um, for good reason, because, um, you know, there are issues with um, sexism towards women in tech. Um, but I didn't really expect so many people waving their hands and saying, whoa, this is crazy. Um, saying like, I can't believe these women would do this to pose in their underwear. I mean, after everything that we're fighting for, for women, um, then these men see these women in their underwear and now they're not going to take them seriously. They're not going to take any women in tech seriously anymore. And to me, that was just so such a non-issue, because if you think about it, you know, what does that say about our society? It's saying that, you know, we are totally OK and perfectly fine with professional models being seen in their underwear. Um, nobody raised an eyebrow when we featured athletes in their underwear or a florist or a singer. Um, but all of a sudden, when we featured women who work in tech in their underwear, People got their panties all in a bunch, excuse the pun, <laughs> um, because they're saying women in tech can't do that and that women in tech have to dress a certain way. They have to behave a certain way in order to be taken seriously. Um, but but in my mind, you know, women should be taken seriously regardless of what they do and of what we're wearing. Um, so, you know, what I'm wearing or what somebody who works in tech is wearing has absolutely zero reflection on their intelligence, their capability to do a great job, um, you know, to create an innovative product. And so I think it's really sad to think that women are expected to censor what we wear and what we do for fear of how that will cause men to think about us. You know, I think if that's actually what someone is saying, then we need to examine that and look at, how can we help these men to see women as more than just objects and more than just how they look? Um, because that then that's that's a bigger problem or, or more of a problem than um, how women are behaving. So it brought up a lot of interesting conversations that we didn't necessarily foresee. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it was, you know, we I loved a lot of the comments and responses that we got positive comments as well um, from a lot of people and our models were just 
wonderful in, in commenting on it. And, and Ada in particularly gave a bunch of great interviews and talking about how listen people need to be comfortable, um, with, with the notion that women are multifaceted, we're complex, we're in-depth people, um, and we shouldn't be, you know, boxed into behaving a certain way or be defined, um, by our profession. And I also loved your response on Twitter with the hashtag not controversial, which was just a, such a perfect and succinct way to diffuse it because it's like, oh, yeah, that's really not controversial, nor should it be. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and um, one of my friends called me and she was like, this is ridiculous. Like two days after the Time magazine or Time Online article came out that called the campaign controversial. And she was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm going to post a selfie of myself working in my underwear and like hashtag it, not controversial. Like this, I cannot stand this. And so she said that. And then I was talking to other friends and they were like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to do it too. And so it became this larger movement. Um, so of course I posed in my underwear as well <laughs> and hashtag it, not controversial. Um, so that was really fun to see so many women who not only said that they supported us, but actually posted selfies and underwear saying this is not a big deal. Well, then that leads us to your uh, response to the Victoria's Secret Perfect Body campaign. And I'm interested in the response that you received to this, too, because this campaign featured real world women with diverse bodies in their underwear as well. So what was the thinking behind the response to the Victoria's Secret campaign, which featured, of course, Victoria's Secret models in their underwear with the banner Perfect Body? Right. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's interesting because we heard about the Victoria's Secret Perfect Body campaign, saw the photo, we talked about it in the office, and within like two hours, we were like, we have to, we have to produce an alternative to this. Um, because I think it's sad that we oftentimes see photos like that, the one, like the one that Victoria's Secret produced all the time. And because they don't usually say the perfect body on top, we just take it for granted, you know, and no one thinks twice about it. But this time they took it too far. I know that it was referencing the body bra and not these women's actual physical bodies. But, you know, that's a nuance that no one's going to get at the very first glance. You have to glance at it twice to really see that. Um, so we felt very uncomfortable with that message that it was sending. And thinking about it, Unless we, unless we are provided with other options, um, it's, it's sometimes not as jarring or like not as, um, obvious how strong that message is. And so by producing an alternative where they could be juxtaposed side by side, um, I think it made it all the more clear and, um, drove home the point that there are so many different bodies um, and everybody is valid and, you know, worthwhile. So, so that was a really fun, fun, very spontaneous campaign that we literally did. We put together in like a day and a half or two days and shot it, produced it, you know, sent an email out to, um, hundreds of my friends and just said, Hey, like we want to provide a response to this. Um, and, and do you want to be part of it? So we had 10 women who were as diverse as possible, 
given the short turnaround time, I, re- I recognize that um, you can always do more to show diversity. So, so in general, the response was very positive to the photo. We posted it on Facebook and didn't pay to promote it or anything. So in terms of organic shares on Facebook, it actually reached over 1.1 million people and was shared, I think it was almost 10,000. It was like 9,700 or 800 times. Just blew us away. <laughs> so it was good. It was fun. And I would say the, the response was almost all positive. You know, you're always going to have some haters who say, oh, like, you know, these bodies of various shapes and sizes, um, the, the women are too obese or whatever. And then, or you have people who say, well, what about skinny people? You know, you're skinny shaming. And it's like, well, we have a size two in there. And, you know, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with being skinny. We're saying, love everyone. <laughs> and, and it's been, it's been a good brand exposure. Um, but I felt like I felt really good doing it because we try to be in, as inclusive as possible. Um, so I felt like we could really, you know, walk the walk in terms of like a lot of other lingerie companies, they wouldn't be able to post a response picture because they've traditionally even if they're not doing it as egregiously as Victoria's Secret is, they've traditionally only featured like super skinny white women. And so we go out of our way to provide more diversity with the caveat that nothing is perfect. And probably at any point you can always add even more. Um, but I felt like it's a nod to our intentions and, and what we try to do and what we have done in the past. So now, Julie, that we've talked about the importance of body diversity in ad campaigns and your own campaign featuring a diverse range of bodies, what, how important do you think it is to provide products for a wide range of bodies? And how did you guys come to do that at Dear Kate? Sure. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. Um, and something that I find very interesting and, and perplexing actually how segregated the, um, plus size clothing market is from smaller sizes. Um, we call them missy sizes. And, you know, when we first started, we were super small. And so we only offered I think it was size extra small through extra large. And so for us, we thought that was a big size range. Um, and, you know, had limited funds in the beginning to produce inventory. And um, to be honest, I was kind of intimidated by the notion of creating a plus size line um, or adding those sizes because it wasn't as simple as just scaling our patterns and making them bigger. Um, but we needed to actually create new patterns because it's very important to me that we, we have a really good fit. And so, so, um, we would have to work with a pattern maker to have a separate, um, fit model who would try everything on and actually create new patterns for size one X and above. Um, so in the beginning, we just started out with regular extra small through extra large. And we had a lot of requests from women who were larger saying, you know, I love your idea. I love your concept and I would like to wear your underwear. And so about um, a year and a half ago, I guess we said, you know what, there's so much demand 
and we want to be able to offer a wider range of sizes. Um, so let's do it. Let's, let's see what we can do. And so we spent a lot of time and did a lot of fittings to make sure that we felt confident in um, the fit of our of our plus size line, and we actually call them queen sizes, um, which is is not just for fun. Like our pattern maker, um, she was she called the patterns Missy patterns and queen size patterns, and I was like, oh, that's cute, and she was like, no, that's what they're called in the industry, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love that so much. Um, let's call it the queen size collection. So we stuck with that. Um, and you know, it's been really awesome since we, since we launched our larger sizes. Um, they bring in a significant amount of revenue. And so, um, you know, from a financial standpoint, it makes sense for us in addition to just the notion that we want to make our technology and our, our underwear and our yoga pants available for as many women as possible. Um, and I do know that you know, we can't say we have garments for every woman because there are women who fall, um, you know, above or below our current size range offerings. Um, but it is important to us that we, we do what we can, um, and we do what makes sense financially. Um, so it's, it's fun when you're able to find something that aligns with your goals of providing um, as many sizes as possible, but then also when you can tell your investors, hey, actually, this makes sense, and we should be listening to these customers, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's financially smart. Well, speaking of investors and uh, doing things because they are financially wise and all of that, <laughs> you are at you know pretty young age a successful entrepreneur already. So what's been the biggest challenge to you, though, as an entrepreneur starting your own business and has being a female entrepreneur posed any particular challenges or advantages? That's a great question. I mean, as an entrepreneur, there are so many challenges. It's like, oh, God, like, how can I pick just one? Um, I think that sometimes I get annoyed because people are always like, well, what's, you know, what's the biggest, hardest thing about being, or they, they always ask me, do you have advice for other female entrepreneurs? And I'm like, how about like, just do I have advice for entrepreneurs in general? Um, because I first and foremost think of myself as an entrepreneur, not a female entrepreneur. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the flip side, there were definite challenges of pitching venture capitalists, um, and we pitched more angel investors, really. So, um, but been in front of a lot of different investors. The majority of them are men, and you know, even sometimes when um, a male investor is saying this is an amazing concept, I, I understand the concept, I understand the product, um, but because it's not something that I would be a customer of and something that I would wear, I don't feel comfortable um, investing. And to me, it's like, you know, are they being sexist? I don't, I don't think so. You know, they're not comfortable putting money into something that they don't fully understand. Um, so I can't say that I blame them, but at the same time that, that felt really um, difficult to, to overcome because our product is intrinsically um, female related. And so it was very important to us to get in front of female investors um, in order to raise money that we needed. And I mean, in terms of biggest challenges of being an entrepreneur, 
Um, there's so many, there's so many tangible things that, that are challenges, but I would say for me personally, the biggest thing is just like trusting myself. Um, and I think I've gained a lot of confidence over the years. Um, I've been working on this business in some form or another for about five or six years now. And so I remember in the beginning, you know, I would meet with a lot of different people for advice and I would meet with someone on Monday and they would say, here's what you should do. ABC, I'm laying it out for you. And then I would meet with someone else on Wednesday and they would say, you know what? Okay. This is your roadmap to success. You do this and this and this. And it could be totally contradictory to what the person told me on Monday. And just because it was like the latest person who gave me advice, I would be like, Oh my God, totally. You're right. That's exactly what we're going to do. And so I felt myself just like bouncing around like a ping pong ball, um, without having, um, real grounding to be able to say like, no, I don't like that idea. Like, I don't think that's right. And so after having this experience and, um, you know, being just like doing things and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't on my own, um, it's been much easier for me to stand back and take advice from people. Um, but then at the end of the day, decide what I think and, um, stay true to that. And if someone tells me something, um, in terms of advice and, and, you know, I don't like it and I don't think it's the right thing to do, then, um, I'm able to say, you know what, Noah, I don't think we should do that and not feel pressure to, um, conform to what they say. And I think to some degree that could be a very female characteristic in the sense that, you know, women, we are raised to get A's and please the teacher and, and all of that. Although my dad was my teacher when I was little, but, um, you know, to, to follow rules and follow advice. Um, and so that's one of the biggest learnings I'd say that, that I finally feel pretty confident that I have, um, I have a very strong opinion about how our business should be run and about how we should grow. And I'm certainly open to ideas and suggestions. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I feel good about my gut and about my, my own opinion. So that's something that I think took a long time to develop and it, it wasn't something that I could just learn overnight. Um, and, and that characteristic affected, you know, pretty much every decision that we had to make um, in the business as we were growing. Well, I mean, along those same lines in terms of trusting yourself and relying on that internal drive, I'm really curious about where your ambition and your drive came from, even from a young age back in your Girl Scout days, in addition to what keeps you motivated today, every day. I don't know. I've always been... Um, I guess like fiercely independent and, um, just like the notion of, of wanting to do something that's a little different than the norm. Um, and I would say that probably goes back to my parents again because they certainly didn't follow convention. Um, and so the notion of, you know, working like a regular job or working for someone else, um, just was so not appealing to me that and when I, when I really became enamored and almost addicted to the idea of the underwear and what it could do for women, um, I knew that I wanted to 
give it my best shot and see if I could make it happen. Um, and so, you know, every, every year I feel like the business is a different business because, um, you know, we're selling different products or we've got different people on our team. Um, we're a different size. And so that keeps it, that keeps it really interesting for me. Um, and I would say, you know, there are definitely good days and bad days, but what really keeps me motivated is like thinking about, thinking about the future and thinking about like, what's the best thing that could happen to us. Um, and, and definitely I've been accused of having like rose colored glasses before. Um, and, but I think any entrepreneur should have rose colored glasses, right? Like, like you anchor your mind on like, what are all of the good things that are coming up that could happen? Um, and then you work towards those and like, that's how they come true. So I, I'm a big fan of just like forgetting the negative, you know, any, anything that's not inspiring and motivating, just don't think about it. Um, and certainly like you can't ignore things, but just always having a positive lens on everything that you're doing, I think has been incredibly helpful for me to stay motivated um, because you are constantly having on your mind the things that are exciting and, um, and happy. And then when those things come true and you do something like the Victoria's Secret, uh, perfect body campaign, our response to that, um, or the women in tech photo shoot. And the, there's just, there's both of those instances. There is this outpouring of, um, love and appreciation and you, it makes you realize how much what we're doing does matter and, and people do notice it. Um, and it's providing a different, a different voice to that conversation. Um, and so that's really satisfying. And then, you know, we're always talking about, all right, what's next? <laughs> what can we do next? Well, speaking of what's next, what is next for Dear Kate, both in terms <laughs> of products and also sort of the background mission of almost normalizing the female body as well as our bodily functions, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so I think in 2014, we really figured out what, um, what works, you know, like we really refined our voice and, um, so, you know, we're going to do more of the same in that aspect. We're going to feature more women in photo shoots who we admire because of who they are and what they do. Um, I'm really excited to expand our yoga line. So we're getting feedback from all of our customers on our first collection um, and turning that around and coming out with our collection 2.0 this year. Um, so that's really exciting. And I get to be involved in, you know, all of that design and fittings and fabric selection and all of those things. Um, and, and along the lines of, you know, normalizing, normalizing the female body and making people comfortable with it. I think it's all about providing things that start the conversation. Um, and that's not only starting the conversation with men, but also, um, with women. And, you know, there are some women who are super comfortable talking about their period. And then there are other women who, you know, that's just not something that was discussed in their house, um, when they were growing up. And so it's really uncomfortable. And so, um, for us, you know, we're using humor, we're using emotions, um, different things that make it easier for people to relate. And when they see us bringing us bringing periods into, 
you know, the mainstream media or things like that. I think it really helps to start those conversations. And the more people talk about periods and the more people know about them, um, and it's amazing. I love educating guys about periods. Sometimes they're just totally clueless. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so you have no idea how this works. Like, let me tell you, because it's actually really interesting. Um, and that weirds some guys out. But other guys, they're like, okay, cool, I'm down. Um so I think for us, it's about, you know, starting those conversations and, um, we've got a bunch of fun things up our sleeve that we're working on that I think, um, are going to get a lot of, a lot of exposure. I can't, can't go into detail. Um, but along the lines of, you know, what it's, what are the emotions? Like what happens when you get your first period? Like, what is that all about? Um, how does it make you feel? What happened? Um, funny stories, things like that. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing how all of that develops in the conversations that Dear Kate starts and obviously to the products that you all, you know, continue to create because I think it's high time that we also have an alternative to the more mainstream Victoria's Secrets out there that look at our bodies in our underwear in different and more progressive kinds of ways. So um, we're, we're big fans and uh, wish you guys the best. Or I, sh- I should say you ladies the best. <laughs> so, Julie, thank you so much for talking to us today. We had a blast and I know I learned so much about how awesome it can be to be an entrepreneur. And I know that we're grateful and a lot of other ladies out there are so grateful for the products that you and your Kate have put out. And it's also inspiring, I'm sure, to listeners as well to hear how a STEM field led to this unlikely startup. Um, so this interview was exciting on a number of different levels for us. And for listeners who are interested in learning more about Julie and Dear Kate, you can head on over to the Dear Kate website, which is Dear Kate's plural dot com. And if you see something you like, Dear Kate is offering stuff I've never told you listeners 25% off their first underwear purchase with the promo code stuff mom never told you. No spaces in between all one word stuff mom never told you. And in addition to checking out all of the products and their ad campaigns that they've had, they also have a great blog that you should follow as well. They have fun social media for you to check out. So be sure to head on over to dearkates.com and support Support some ladies doing some really great and innovative and progressive business. And now we want to hear from you. Do you have any period underwear stories? You know you have some. You know you have some stories. Email us, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also tweet us, if it's a very short period story, at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now, back to the show. So we have a couple letters here about our comic book series, and I have a letter here from Virginia. She says, I've been listening to Sminty for years and love all the episodes, but Women in Comics Part 2 was awesome. Listening to your episode was like listening to someone list the faces of my life. I've been a fan of comics ever since I was a kid and gobbled up Bone and Calvin and Hobbes. In middle school and high school, I really loved manga, graphic novels, and some very dark comic books like The Punisher and Hellboy. Then in college, I became more interested in web comics. I was too poor to afford anything else and started reading Wonder Woman since I thought that was important to being a good feminist. 
I tried reading some other superhero comics, but couldn't really get into them back then because either you had to back-read 10,000 comic books just to understand the plot, X-Men, or suffered from women in refrigerator syndrome, everything else. Now, for the first time, I've really been enjoying a whole mess of superhero comics, quite a few of which you mentioned. I can't get enough of Miss Marvel and Thor, and Batgirl is pretty good, too. There's a fractured fairy tales trend going on now, too, which I think would appeal to a lot of female readers. Some good titles are Once Upon a Time Machine, Fables, and Jim Henson's The Storyteller. In the podcast, you talked about how intimidating comic book stores can be, which I understand, but I've had only positive experiences in stores. Store owners are getting the picture that women read comics, too. The store that I get my subscription from now, shout out to Hall of Comics in Southborough, Massachusetts, is the most organized comic book store I've ever been in. Good labeling and attractive displays do a world of difference in making a store more welcoming and less intimidating to new readers. Whenever I go in, they remember my name, nerd out with me over Saga and Miss Marvel, and give excellent suggestions on what to read next. The statistic you mentioned about the greater numbers of women buying digital comics makes me kind of sad. While I'm glad more women are reading comics, they might be missing out on a fabulous local comic book store. Anyway, thanks for doing such an excellent podcast. I'm very excited about what's happening in the comic book industry right now, and I hope that many more women start writing and drawing comics so that I'll always have great comics to read. So thanks, Virginia. Well, I've got a letter and a question here from Julie, who writes, I'm a 23-year-old female working on a sports blog. I'm the youngest and only female of 23 bloggers. The guys I blog with know my real name, and we've all met in person, so they're aware of my gender, and it's not something I'm trying to hide. However, my screen name is gender neutral, and many commenters automatically assume that I'm male due to the subject matter of our blog, and the readership is skewed quite male. The Internet seems to be an equalizer at times where everyone is treated the same due to the lack of gender, racial, class, and so on when those details aren't provided. I've noticed, though, that when those details are provided, they become the talking points when that person speaks on comment threads when they differ from the white, middle-aged, hetero, male majority. It seems a bit liberating when guys speak to me without the usual hang-ups that happen in real life, but I'm worried that it's coming from not a platform of equality, but that they assume I'm a male. Are there any articles or studies examining this situation? Thanks, and I'm on my way to listening through the whole Sminty catalog. Great job. Well, to briefly answer your question whether there are any articles or studies examining gender equality on the Internet and on social media, yes, there absolutely are. And in terms of articles about how women are treated on the Internet, particularly when their screen names and stuff let everyone know that, yes, they are women, a lot of times it is pretty negative because a lot of times uh, women are harassed on the Internet simply by virtue of being women and especially if they express opinions on the Internet. And this, I wanted to read this letter because I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners experience this as well. I know this comes up a lot for women in gaming who, if they're playing something like Xbox Live, will choose uh, a gender-neutral uh, username so that they won't be harassed. But, Caroline, I'm wondering if it's almost better sometimes to step out from behind gender neutrality, not so much to put yourself... Uh, as a target for harassment, but to perhaps in doing so, slowly but surely normalize 
gender online. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I mean, I can honestly see it both ways. I can understand why, like, I personally would, you know, encourage women to do that, to step out from behind a neutral screen name. But I also understand why someone choosing a gender, gender neutral screen name would do that because you want to be taken seriously and have value placed on your writing for its own sake and people appreciating what you have to say. Um, without the added thought of, you know, what are they going to think of me if I'm a woman or how are they going to respond differently to me or actually having them respond differently to you. I mean, it's hard for me to say, you know, I ideally, obviously, we wouldn't have to hide behind gender neutral names, but writers have been doing it. Writers and scientists have been doing it forever. You know, women have been using pen names or hiding behind their initials, quote unquote, hiding behind them forever so that they can get published so that they can have readership and and make an actual living so i don't really know what to say beyond i totally get it and ideally we wouldn't have to do that yeah i will say though i would advise in this instance julie if you're listening if you are a blogger and you want to build that up as a career um i would advise using your name as much as possible if only to create your footprint on the web, build your personal brand as a writer and, and particularly as a, as a woman writing about sports. So that's something just to consider from more of a professional standpoint. But if there are listeners who have advice about this whole gender neutrality on the web, pros and cons kind of thing, we'd love to hear your input as well. So MomStuff at HowStuffWorks, again, is our email address. And if you want to get in touch with us on social to find the links to all of that, as well as links to all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, with links to learn more about Julie and Dear Kate, Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 